so glad to have you here uh, this morning. Uh, my name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors here at, at Outward Church. And uh, just a, a couple of announcements for you. Um, we are anticipating uh, this uh, Christmas Eve being one of our most attended services ever. Now, having said that, it's probably going to be one of our least attended or something like that. But I just want to tell you that, uh, that uh, we typically increase uh, over, over Christmas uh, for Christmas Eve uh, year over year over year. And so uh, what we've done is that we're utilizing something called uh, an, an RSVP app. And um, so what we're asking of our church, uh, you guys, those who have heard about this, we're asking that you would go on and just RSVP for the service and tell us which service you would be going to. We have two uh, service times, and I am going to forget what those service times are off the top of my head, but you can go online and see what that is. What are the service times, Ryan? 3 and 4.30. Yes, praise Jesus. Okay. All right, yeah, so you can go online, you can, you can do that. The reason why we did 3 and 4.30 is because of this. We want to uh, make sure that you have time with your family uh, later in the evening, and, and we want to make sure that our volunteers can, can go be, uh, can be a part of the service, and then also go to one of the services, uh, but we're also doing it earlier, uh, just so you guys can get out of here and go hang out with family and whatnot, but we also want to celebrate Christmas for the reason uh, that it exists, and that is because of, of Jesus, and so um, we want to encourage you to be a part of that. It just takes 60 seconds. Um, it would really help us to know how many seats to be putting out. It'll give us a, a good gauge um, for that. Uh, and secondly, every year we typically send a group of, of men uh, to Hillcrest Youth Correctional Facility. And, and uh, basically what happens there is that um, there is an intake unit. So when, when kids go to jail, uh, they end up in this intake unit. And it's a, it's a pretty rough crowd, as you can imagine. Um, but they, they don't have anybody who's adopted them, typically. They don't have anybody who's, who's uh, really looking after them. Their families are not around. They're in jail, obviously. That's, that's uh, more than a bummer. It's, it's incredibly sad. And so we have an opportunity to go be Jesus there. Uh, we, we, we get to love Jesus and live outward uh, by going there and serving. And so what we do is we go and we bring gifts and games and we hang out with kids. Uh, you can have some pretty interesting conversations. So if you're a conversationalist, that's, uh, that can happen there. If you're not, that's okay too. Uh, all that is required is for you to love Jesus and as a result want to live out of that truth. And so um, on the 19th, at 6.30 p.m., this, is, this will be taking place. However, we need your name uh, uh, in advance so that you can go through a background check. Uh, that you have to be background checked. Uh, typically, that, that is the case this time again, right? Yes. And so we need your name in advance. So this is what I, I need to ask you to do. If you're a, a male um, and you would like to go be a part of this, you can go back to Connect Central back here as soon as the service is over and sign up for that. Now, if you're thinking, hey, you know, I should probably do that, what that means is this, that you should do that. And I'm telling you right now, go back there and do it after service because we have too many of these things that happen and, and people, uh, you know, everybody thinks someone else will do it. No, you, you do it. I'm talking about you. You do it. So uh, that would be fantastic. So that is that. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is, is controversial um, uh, because it, it deals with, last week we talked about sex, and, um, and basically what we said is if you're married uh, and, um, and uh, 
<laughs> married rightly and, and, and whatnot, you should be having sex uh, with your spouse. You should be having a lot of sex with your spouse. You should uh, work to serve your spouse uh, as a result. Uh, and the reason why the Apostle Paul says this is because there are people in this church who are uh, reacting to the world. And what the world is saying is the world is saying in their day, and even in our day as well, that is that sex is natural. You should just have sex with anyone and everyone as often and as frequently as, those are both the same word, but you get what I'm saying, just lots of sex outside of, of marriage. And so they had this hedonistic lifestyle, which means pleasure at all costs. I, I, I am seeking pleasure uh, at all costs. And so these people were saying, okay, uh, if that's true, then we're going to respond to that. And so they responded, it looks like, in the same way that many Christians respond today. And so they take this ascetic view. And what that means is it means that you should have sex with no one. You, uh, life should be miserable. Life should, you should just push everything away, stay away from all of those things. And even in their marriages, it seemed as though some people were saying, if that's what the world is like, then what, I, what we should do as husband and wife is that we should uh, stay away from each other um, in intimacy, which is a horrible idea, horrible, horrible idea. And we should uh, try to be better Christians like that. And Paul comes in and he says, listen, that's not what this looks like. That's not what this means. And so what he's, what he's trying to say here is he's having a conversation, and it's a real letter. He's speaking to real people, and he's telling them uh, a list of things. And he's, what he wants to communicate to them is uh, some very important things about life. And the church in Corinth has many of our very same problems. They have many of our very same problems. In many cases, these people are either thinking like, I need to uh, get rid of everything in my life so that I can be completely devoted to God, or they're not devoted to Him at all. And so they're not rightly ordered with God. They, really, what's taking place is this, is that there's people that are all across the spectrum, and Paul says, like, I, I want to bring order to your life. I want to bring proper devotion to the Lord in your life. And ultimately what he's going to say, I just want to summarize it for you, is what he's going to say is that you should enjoy life and not worship it. You should enjoy life. You should enjoy your married life, but you should not worship it. You should enjoy life, but you shouldn't worship it to the point where you say that my happiness is the most important thing. So many times people uh, get completely backward on this and they believe that somehow that God's ultimate goal, that God's ultimate desire in your life is that you would be happy. Many people say this. In fact, many of us even believe this. Many of us believe that, well, God would not want me to be unhappy and my happiness right now depends on X. It depends on uh, whether I get this job. It depends on whether I ever get married. It depends on whether I can get divorced from this person and find someone who's my soulmate because this person isn't my soulmate. My happiness is the most important thing to me. And so I've got to do whatever it takes to be happy. And so 
what we find ourselves doing is we find ourselves being consumed with consuming. I don't know what, what you're like, but when, I, when, I, when it comes time for us to have to buy a new car, and I know not everybody has that opportunity uh, to buy cars, and so I just want to be sensitive to that, um, but we don't buy brand new cars. We buy older cars that have a little bit higher miles but have a good track record, and we like to buy cars from uh, old guys because they normally take care of their cars. I'm not buying it from some 15-year-old kid, right? So I find the old guy who just wants to get rid of his car at a good price, and so then we buy a car. But here's, here's my thing. I, when I buy a car, I, get, I just get consumed with it. I cannot stop looking for this car. It just consumes me. It, just abs- it, it almost drives me crazy, and I, I just have this voracious a- appetite. To just, There's another one. There's another one. There's, and I'm looking through it, and I'm calling people, and I'm trying to find people. But so many of us can allow life to consume us on that level where it's, this is the one thing in my life, and if I could get there, then happiness would, would be throughout my entire life. I would, I would be totally happy, and therefore, then I could serve God. Then if, if I could just get beyond this barrier, then I could serve God. Then I could be devoted to Him. Then I could be happy. Then, I could be, uh, then life would be enjoyable again if I could just get past this. And so people who are in their uh, late teens, early 20s, oftentimes are, are just perplexed by the idea of, like, what am I supposed to do? Or who am I going to marry? And so relationships are just absolutely insanity sometimes when you're that age because it's consuming. And you feel like so much of life is dependent upon this relationship and it's, it's just it's consuming you and your job and whether, whether I'm going to have the right job. And then sometimes we say, I'm not happy in this job, and so I'll, I'll, I'm going to quit this job, and I'm going to take another job, and I'm not happy with this job, and I'm going to quit it, and I'm going to get another one. Or I'm not going to work at all for a while, and I'm just going to do this because that's what makes me happy. And so we're jumping around, we're jumping around, we're jumping around. And as I said, it extends into your marriage as well. Because when your happiness becomes your ultimate goal, and you find that you can't worship your spouse anymore, you find that you can't worship uh, that, that the God that you thought that your spouse was when you got married, when you find out that they are not God, but they're actually a demon, right? <laughs> You're both demons, by the way, all right? When you find out that your spouse is not as great as you thought they were, and, they, and now their status has been reduced to really just someone who's just like you, and you're just devastated, You're devastated because they've let you down. They have not worshipped you the way that you wanted to be worshipped. When that takes place, that's the turn into a desire for a life that causes you to be happy. You become your main goal. And life begins to fall apart. In fact, there was an author, a... a, uh, (laughs) what what people thought was a Christian author who has uh, now divorced her uh, husband. It sounds like she had biblical grounds for that divorce, but um, Christianity Today uh, did an article on her, and this is what they said um, about Glennon Doyle Melton. It said, indeed, Melton understands that her most sacred responsibility as a leader is to model what it means to be, quote, so comfortable in your own being, your own skin, your own knowing that you become more interested in your own joy and freedom and integrity than in what others think about you. 
Now, I want to tell you something, that that is the exact opposite of what Jesus wants in your life. And she's proven it because she divorced her, her spouse, and now she's in a same-sex relationship. And nothing about her happiness and her joy is found in who God is, but it's found in who she is. It's found in, in her expressing her own joy and her own happiness. And I want to tell you, before you look at her and you say, man, that's ridiculous, each and every one of us has the seeds of that discontentment in our life. Each and every one of us has those seeds in our life. And our life consumes us, and our, and our desire for happiness consumes us so much that we get to this point where we just say, I, all I want, I want the pain to stop. I want to be consumed with the things that I have, and I just want to be happy. And so Paul is going to speak against this. And so he begins, in fact, we'll pick it up in verse... Uh, in verse 7, he says, I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. So then he says, he says this, he says, to the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain, remember this word, remain, it is good for them to remain single as I am. Now Paul just said, I wish that everyone was as I am, but each one has his own gift. And so what he's saying is he's saying, like, I have this gift of being single, of being celibate. And I wish everyone was like I am. And he has good reason for that in just a second. But what, what he says here is he says, uh, I... I, he says, to the unmarried and the widows, I say that it's good for them to remain single as I am, verse 9, but if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. What Paul just said there is this, is that like, I think it's good if you're single, but like, if you're somebody who is burning with passion, meaning like, you really want to have sex, like, you, like it is, it's, it's consuming for you. You're, you're burning with passion. You want to have sex. You want to have a relationship. You're just, you're just desiring to be with someone. So many times people say singleness is a gift. You should enjoy it as a gift. In reality, sometimes singleness is a gift that people don't want. Like when you give somebody a diet book as a gift. Like, is that really a gift that I want? Like, what's, like, that's not a good gift, right? And so some people are like, I don't want that gift. And the, the truth is this, that if you don't want the gift, then you probably don't have the gift of being single. You don't have the gift. And so Paul says, like, I think it's better that you would marry than to stay single. And so what he's saying is he, he's, he's saying this, like, like, you could be happy being single but you could also be happy by getting married and it would be more honoring to God than for you to fornicate, have sex outside of marriage, so you should get married. And that's a good thing. That's a, that's a great thing. And so then he says this. To the married, I give this charge. Not I, but the Lord. He's saying, listen, Jesus talked about this. Jesus, talked, Jesus himself talked about this, and he says, the wife should not separate from her husband. But if she does, 
she should remain. Look at the word remain. Again, that's the second time. But if she does separate, that is, if she gets a divorce, or if they're in, in, in the process of divorce and they're, and they're separated, but if, she, uh, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. And so what Paul is saying here, is he's saying within the Christian life, when you're somebody who's in a marriage and you're having difficulty within your marriage, and most of us, have difficulty in our marriages, all right? Uh, I, my wife and I regularly have things that we have to work through. I believe that God has been so gracious to us because he's given us the tools to work through those things. Oftentimes, when you have difficulty in marriage and you're not working through those things and you're constantly having fights and, and problems, what happens is this, is that it's, there's a wound in that marriage. It never gets resolved. And then you go on and then you wound each other in your marriage. And then you go on and you wound each other in your marriage. And so you don't have the tools to really work on your marriage. And oftentimes, you have to be able to work through problems. Problems are just part of life. Problems are part of marriage. Problems are, the essence of problems in a marriage are this, that you are selfish and that your spouse is selfish. Both of you are selfish. And as long as you believe that they're the one that's, that is selfish and you are not, you're going to have serious problems in your marriage until you realize that you're the biggest problem in your marriage that you're the biggest issue in your marriage, and that what you need to get right is how to serve your spouse physically, emotionally, uh, financially, whatever, relationally, however that works. Paul is saying this. He's saying, listen, I want you to remain in your marriage. Stay in your marriage even when it's hard. And if you're separated right now, and as, as long as your spouse is still unmarried, there's an opportunity for reconciliation. Why? Because God hates divorce. God hates divorce. But let me tell you this. God does not hate divorced people. God does not hate divorced people. Most of us in this room have been touched by divorce in one way or another. And most people who have been divorced walk around as though they have a scarlet letter on them and they feel like I am less than because I've been divorced. But here's the thing. God himself calls himself a divorcee. Jeremiah chapter 3 verse 8 when he says, I gave you a certificate of divorce and he sends away Israel in essence. God himself says that he has divorced his own people. So even God recognizes that there are situations where, when this happens. And so what's, what's true is this, is that God hates divorce, but he hates divorce because of the effects of divorce. And most of us know, like if you've been in that, and I, I mean, some of you have been in fantastic families, and so you don't know what I'm talking about, but you've probably seen it from the outside. Just the turmoil that happens, especially with the kids, if there are kids involved. It's, it's horrific. It's horrific. And Paul is saying, like, if there is a way to be reconciled, then you should be reconciled. But Jesus says this. Jesus says that there is, uh, there's actually two biblical reasons to get a divorce. And one of those is marital unfaithfulness. I won't go into that passage right now. But if, if your spouse has been unfaithful to you, 
like they've had an affair. You have grounds for divorce, but you are not required to get a divorce. You're not required. So what Paul is saying here is he's saying, listen, like if there is a way to reconcile with your spouse, you should do it. You should work towards reconciliation because God is glorified in your life when you are somebody who's in the middle of a battle with your spouse and somehow you get to a point where you're able to work it out and you're able to get to a place of reconciliation and then you have great sex and you have great relationships and you have great, a great life together and God gets the glory for that because you're working through those things. You're working through those things. So Paul is saying this. He's saying, don't get out of your marriage. Remain in your marriage. Stay, even though it's difficult. Be reconciled to one another. Neither of you should be divorcing each other. But there's also a recognition that sometimes that happens. And Jesus can heal you. And Jesus can breathe new life into you and to your relationships. And Jesus forgives. Divorce is not the unforgivable sin. Jesus went to the cross for that. Verse 12 says, to the rest, I say, I not the Lord. So why did, why did he say that? It's not to diminish what he's saying. He's saying, I've stopped quoting Jesus in essence. And I'm going to give you my opinion as an apostle. But his opinion is not opinion, really. It is scripture. It is the word of God. And so we can take it as authoritative in our life as he's giving us advice on how to work with life and the way that things are going. And so he says this, To the rest I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? What Paul's saying here is he's saying, like, there's people who get married, and then they become a Christian. And not both spouses become Christians, but just one becomes a Christian. And so the question is that these people might be bringing up is they're saying, what does it look like to be fully devoted to God in my marriage? If my spouse is not a believer, what should I do there? And Paul says emphatically, you should not divorce your spouse just because they don't believe like you do. You should not divorce them. You should remain in your marriage because of this, because you are a conduit of God's grace into that marriage and into your kids. What he's saying is he's saying that you get to be somebody who brings the gospel to bear. You're able to be a visible representation of what the gospel means, and you get to work toward bringing your spouse to the faith. You get to be somebody who's, who's uh, bringing Jesus into the life of your kids. That's what that means. And as a result, there's this aspect of holiness that comes into the marriage. It doesn't mean that that spouse is saved or that the kids are saved, but that you get to be somebody who 
can help with that. And what he says is, he says, how do you know whether you won't be somebody who's able to bring about real change in your spouse's life? How do you know? Go ahead and serve them. Go ahead and be somebody who loves them unconditionally. Go ahead and put up with, maybe there's mockery of you and the fact that you go to church sometimes and that you believe, that you actually believe what the Bible says. It doesn't matter. Don't worry about it. Stay married. Stay married. So then he says in verse 17, this is a very key verse in the entire passage. Here he says, only let the person lead the life the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. Now stop right there for a second. So Paul is saying this. He's like, the position that you're in, where you're at right now, okay? That position that you're in, insofar as you are not sinning, insofar as you're not in a sinful relationship, insofar as you're not in a dating relationship that is in the midst of having sex on a regular basis outside of wedlock. Insofar as you're not in some, some kind of uh, business dealings that are wrong or you're cheating people. Insofar as you're not impugning the name of God through the things that you are. He says, only let the person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him. And this is what many of us don't get. The constant pursuit of happiness, the, the desire, like, I've got to be happy. I need to be happy. But you know, what, you know what you're missing? The life that you are living right now, the place that you are right now, is the place that God has assigned to you. You're single. God has assigned this to you right now. You may not be loving it, but God loves you, and he's assigned this to you right now. God has called you to be single and to sit there and mourn over the things that you don't have and the things that you want and the fact that your marriage sucks or the fact that you just don't like the people that you're hanging around with, and to sit there and do that is to deny the God of the universe and what he has assigned to you. Do people hate the idea of the sovereignty of God? Hate the idea of the sovereignty of God. Because if God is in control somehow, then doesn't that mean that God is in control of my unhappiness or even the, the difficult things that have happened to me or the horrific things that have happened to me? Now, I don't believe that God is responsible for the sin that has caused horrific things in your life. But I do believe this, that God is sovereign enough to oversee those things. But the sovereignty of God ultimately means this. It means that where I am right now is not an accident. It means that in the midst of your life and the things that you're dealing with, in the middle of the fights that you have in your marriage, in the middle of the devastation that's happening to your business, in the middle of the, the, the stuff that's going on in your relationships, in the middle of great gain, in the middle of awesome business transactions, in the middle of all those things, God has assigned those things to you. So either God is using those things 
to bring about change in your life and he wants to see you grow or God is blessing you and he still wants to see you respond appropriately, acknowledging him as the giver of all good gifts and things and that you are not the person that caused the goodness in your life. God is the one who assigned to you your success. God is the one who was assigned to you your calling. God is the one who gave you the gifts that you have to make the money that you have. God is the one who gave to you the great marriage that you have, that I have. God is the one who gave to you all of those things. And when you begin to take credit for the good things and blame God for the bad things, that's inconsistent. Why does God always get the blame for the bad things, but he never gets credit for the good things in your life? Tell me that. Tell me that. How can you arrogantly say that God's a jerk because he didn't give you good things, but then when you get good things, you're like, oh, yeah, I did this. I don't need no God. Stop going to church. Stop hanging out in community. Forget y'all. I got my stuff, and it's because of me. No. No. That's ridiculous. You blame God for the bad. You take credit for the good. But here's the thing. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him, to which God has called him. God has called you to this situation. God has called you to work these things out in your marriage. I hate that person. That's fine. you got to work it out. This is my rule in all the churches. This is what I tell everyone, Paul says. This is what should be happening everywhere, everywhere with everyone. Verse 18, was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. That would be a difficult task if you know anything about circumcision, right? <laughs> for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. What he's saying is he's saying this, like, don't try to make yourself more presentable to God like doing things outwardly, but inwardly, you're not really connecting with God. You're, you're not really working with Him. You're not really looking to serve Him. You just want to make things look good. Don't do that. Be somebody who wants what God wants in your life. Verse 20, each one should remain, there's the word again, remain in the condition in which he was called. Think about this. Think about this. You're... you're the anxieties that you have. What's next? What's next in my life? What should I do? How, how should I do that? What, you know, what, where's my next relationship? What's the next job? Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. There should be a contentment about your life. Were you a slave when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. He's saying even if you're a slave, in those days it would have been like indentured servitude most likely means this, I got into debt or I needed to buy something and so I put myself in debt to this person and now I work for them. It, it's a little bit like a job today, but a little bit uh, less. Uh, there was no labor department at that point. I don't know if you know that, but uh, he says, if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he, who has, uh, for he who was called in the Lord as a slave is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a slave of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, let, uh, there let him remain with God. He's saying even if you're in the midst of, uh, of slavery, you've got to pay some debts back. 
Or that's just where you are. You just feel like a slave in your job. Like you should remain in that. You should continue in that. Like if you can get out from underneath those things, that's great. And by the way, don't put yourself in debt so that you end up in this situation again. But here's the thing. Be content. Remain where you are. If that's where God has you, that's where God has you. This is what God wants in your life right now. So remain. Verse 25. Now concerning the betrothed. These are like engaged people. Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord. Jesus didn't speak to this, he says. But I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy, mercy is trustworthy. Again, he's an apostle. He should be listened to. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those uh, who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. What's he saying here? What's he talking about? He's saying this. He's saying, I think it's best if you remain in the, in, in the, in the place where you are. If you're married, you should just stay married. If, uh, if you're not married, maybe don't get married. Like, if, if, if you're engaged, he's saying, because of whatever's going on in our world right now, and wh- what it looks like is that persecution is coming, and Paul is saying, it's going to be much harder for you if you're married. And so what, my encouragement to you is, is maybe to not get married. Remember what he said earlier, like, if you want to get married, go ahead and get married. But he says, I think that if you're free from a wife, that will be better. And he says, those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. I I just want to spare you the difficulty of that. And he's going to explain this in just a second. Here's what he says. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. What's he mean by that? Let's stop right there for a second. What's he mean? Because of Jesus, because Jesus came, because he lived a perfect life, because he intentionally went to the cross for you and I, and because he is risen from the grave, what that instituted is this, is that the end is in sight. So Paul is saying this. He's saying the end is in sight. It wasn't in sight before Jesus They couldn't see where the end was. But because Jesus came, it now institutes something. We don't know when Jesus is coming back. I'm not going to make any predictions. That normally goes very badly for people, right? But he says this. He says, because the end is in sight, you should live with the end in mind. You should be living as though the end is coming. What's that look like in our life? If you're always living for today as though today is all that matters, then what's going to happen is this. You're always going to be living for yourself. You're always going to be saying, it's all about my happiness. It's all about my joy. But if the end is the culmination of all things, when Jesus returns and he writes every wrong and he wipes away every tear, and you and I, the plan for you and I is to sit around and worship Jesus and to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, and to worship him and worship him and worship him, then what Jesus, uh, what Paul is saying here is he's saying, you should live your life in that way. He says, this is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. 
From now on, let those who have wives live, live as though uh, they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who uh, rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world, world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. He then says, I want you to be free from anxieties. Stop right there. Why did he just say all that? If you're married, stay married. But then he just said, all right, if you're married, if you have a wife, live like you don't have a wife. That's strange, isn't it? But Paul is saying this, live with the end in mind. If you're living for today, if your marriage is ultimate for you, you'll always mistreat it. If, if, if your marriage is the object of worship in your life, you will always mistreat it. You'll always put it before God. If your life is not ordered correctly in that God comes before my marriage, if your, if your life is not rightly ordered in that uh, uh, my singleness is the, single mo- it's the biggest thing to me, Therefore, God takes second place. My relationship with God, my relationship with the community takes second place. That's wrong. What that means is that you're living as though your marriage and your relationships and as your business is the ultimate thing. You're consumed with buying. Paul says, act like you're not buying things. He says, act like you're not mourning. Why would you act like you're not going to mourn? Like, there are sad things in our lives. People die. Horrific things take place. Is Paul saying, no, don't, don't mourn, don't weep? No, he's saying this. Don't mourn and weep like it's the last word because the end is in sight. Do you see what he's saying? Look at all of the connection, connective pieces from your life into this world. I, I have my wife... I have my four kids whom I love dearly. My heart is, is connected to them deeply. I have a house that I'm trying to remodel. My heart's connected to that. I have a job that I try to do well. My heart's connected to that. I have um, uh, relationships in my life that, that are going on. I have things that I want to do in business in the future. My heart's connected to those things. And when I think about all of those things in my life, I can become, become consumed with all of those issues in my life. But when Paul says, for those of you who are married, live as though you, you weren't married. And live as though this isn't the final word on suffering. Jesus is going to come right every wrong. And like, if you're happy don't find your ultimate happiness, your ultimate joy, your ultimate satisfaction in here and now. Because somehow that excludes God. And it says that's the most important thing to me. And ultimately what happens is this, is that instead of simply being content with the things that you have, you're consumed with the things that you have. Instead of 
being content with your life and, the, and, and where things are at currently. You don't want to remain. You want to move. You want to get out of this. And you have anxiety in your life. And there is turmoil that's going on. But here's what characterizes a Christian person. Contentment with the way that things are. Not perfection in the way that things are. Contentment with these are the things that are in my life. This is where God has me. I'm single right now. If God brings somebody into my life, praise him. If God doesn't bring something into my life or someone into my life, praise him. Contentment. I'm struggling in life. Like things don't seem to be working out with my job. And it's always a hassle for me. I never feel like I can support myself or what have you. Contentment. Live as though you weren't suffering. Live as though this is not the final word on who you are. Live as though this is not the only thing. Live as though the horrific things that have happened to you or the greatest sorrows in your life, live as though that is not the final word. Because when sorrow characterizes your life and you can never get out of it, it's a denial of who God is. It's a denial of him. It's to say that he isn't really sovereign, that he isn't really in control. It's to say that you don't really believe him. It's to say that you should be, be happy, like God's greatest good is your happiness, and that's not true. God's greatest good is his glory, and he may be glorified through your life being unhappy and yet praising him. Do, do you trust God that much? Do you trust God enough to say this, I'm unhappy in my marriage, but I'm going to glorify him and say this is not the final word. Jesus says that you're neither given in marriage nor are you ever married in heaven. Like th this marriage is just here and now. You're not married in heaven to your spouse. That's not the final word. You have eternity as an individual who is a lover of God not a lover of this person. This is not the final word on that. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. So this is what it looks like to be somebody who's single. A single person is somebody who can, has the opportunity to, serve God in an exceptional way. Our church has been an example of that. As we've had many singles throughout our church, and many of them have, have, have gotten married. And what's true about that is that you've got a lot of time before you're married. When you get married, you're spending a lot of time at home, especially like that honeymoon period, right? You're spending a lot of time at home. And what he's saying is he's saying, if you're single... You can be somebody, instead of focusing on the fact that you don't have this thing, you can focus on God. You can be anxious about the things of God, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. 
And this is a good thing still. Verse 34, and his interests are divided, and the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. I know, I know this is long, Here's what Paul is saying. He's saying, whether you're in this situation or whether you're in that situation, it doesn't matter what situation you're in. Here's my ultimate goal is that you would remain where you are and that in that remaining, that you would be somebody who is rightly ordered. That you're, that you're not here just to enjoy life, but you're to enjoy life as given from God and that you're worshiping Him because of the things that he's given you, because of the things, the ways that you get to serve him, Paul's saying, I want to see undivided devotion to the Lord. Now look at that requirement for a second. People, men and women, how is your life undivided and devoted for the Lord? Every single one of us in this room struggles with this, myself included. I already, I already told you about my life. I got a wife and kids. I got a house I'm trying to build. I got things I want to do in life and, and hopes and dreams. But the question to Matt is this, Matt, I realize you're preaching for me. I realize that this is your job, but Matt, what I want to know is how is your life lived in undivided devotion to me. And you can't live in undivided devotion to God when you're always living under anxiety of the next thing. And the next thing could be, I can't wait to have a baby, and I want a baby, but I can't. And the next thing may be, I can't find a guy to save my life. Where are these guys, by the way? Like, there should be some more Christian guys around here that are worthy of marriage. How does God want you to live in undivided devotion in those moments? And to say that remaining in this situation means this, that I get to serve God as a single person. And while I may not have the gift of singleness, I'm going to act like it is a gift from God and I'm going to worship Him and serve Him regardless. And too many times, the church is right alongside of culture and they say, I can't stand my spouse. I can't stand the things that they're doing and we're always fighting. How could you be, let me soften what I'm going to say. I, I, maybe I won't. I'll just say it in a nice tone so you think I'm being nice, right? That is weak sauce Christianity. How'd that come across? Is that right? That's weak sauce. That's not undevoted devotion to God. That's saying, 
I know where I'm called. I know what God wants for my life. And God, dang it, you better do it. And if I don't get what what I believe that I deserve out of my marriage, out out of my kids, out of anything else, I'm going to be angry with you, God. And your anger and your discontentment is not towards anyone else, but to the creator who's assigned you to that life, who's called you where you are right now. And to think anything different is to just be weak sauce to give up and say, I'm done. I'm done with this marriage. I'm out. Now, to be sure, remember what I said? God hates divorce, but he loves loves divorced people. Marriages do end, but that is not God's plan for marriage. That is not what God wants in your life. How can you be undivided, undividedly indivisible? I don't know how you say that, but... Uh, devoted to God. He goes off again here. I mean, Paul is a, is a little bit all over the place. Verse 36, if anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly towards his betrothed, if his passions are strong and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It is no sin. Do you see what Paul's saying here? It's not sinful to get married. You want to get married? Great. It doesn't make you a bad person. That's great. That's awesome. You desire marriage, you desire a good thing. That's fantastic. God hasn't, get, God hasn't called you to life on singleness. The opportunity is there, so God, uh, God is opening the door for you. You should get married. He says, passions are strong, but whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control and is de- determined uh, this in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. It's not a sin either way. I think it'd be better if you were single, but if you want to get married, that's great. It's a good thing. Verse 39, a wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she's free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. See what Paul's saying there? A little bit of a side note. Your spouse dies. God has changed the scenario. You're free to get remarried. Only marry a Christian. And don't marry those guys that uh, just go to church and don't really have a relationship with God. They just want to get in the sack with you often. Not all the time. I'm not impugning everyone in this room, by the way. But make sure that the person that you want to get married to is in the Lord. That they're walking with Jesus. How do you do that? You know what I love? I love it when a girl meets a guy and that guy comes to church and he shows his face here all the time. Sort of impressed me about Jeff Sanders. You didn't know you are coming up in the sermon today, did you? Congratulations on the baby, by the way. I love that guy. Here's what I love about him. He met a girl. He came to church. He got involved. He went to community group, right? This is the guy who's in the Lord. This is the guy who's walking with Jesus. The guy who says, you know, I'm a Christian. I just don't go to church. Don't marry that guy. He's not a Christian. I don't think he is. I'll, I'll, I'll just be frank with you. I don't think he is. Don't marry that guy. There's probably something to say to the guys here too, but this is normally a girl problem, right? 
marry the right person. Make sure that they're in the Lord. And even then, you can't determine whether you're going to have issues or not. Yet in my judgment, she's happier if she remains as she is. And I think that I, too, have the Spirit of God. I didn't tell you how many verses we we're going to go through today because I didn't want to scare you. That was a lot. That was a lot. Do you, see, do you see what the passage is saying there? Do you see how many things we just went over? It could be this way. It could be that way. Both things are pleasing to God. Be happy with what you have. Love Jesus. Love him. Walk with him. Be devoted to Jesus because Jesus is and was devoted to you through the cross. Some of you are sitting here, you're saying, I've screwed up my life. I'm in the middle of that situation. I've already started the divorce. Figure out how to reconcile. Try to figure that out. It doesn't work out? Okay. But try to reconcile. I got divorced wrongly. Or I, was the one, I was the one who created the problem. Okay. Jesus loves you. He loves you so much that he went to the cross for you. He died for that sin, and your sin is no different than mine. See, I'm in the, I'm in the midst of a, a wrong situation right now. Okay. How do you get out of that? How do we start making steps towards being devoted to Jesus and not devoted to your own happiness? How do you start making those steps? You've been unhappy about a situation in your life for a long time. There's bitterness that's growing in you. You need to confess that. That's sin. The unrelenting bitterness that you have because God hasn't given you what you think you deserve. A spouse, money, sex, power, whatever it is. You need to repent. You're impugning God. You're telling God, I deserve something that you didn't give me. I am God. I should be happy. You should serve my needs. That's sin. But Jesus went to the cross for that sin. And he loves you deeply. Once you live for him, you can't do it while you're bitter. You can't do it while you're bitter. That's it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I, uh, I ask that there would be people in this room that are convicted and yet comforted. Lord, I'm praying that there would be a balance in their life between a deep sense of where they've been wrong and yet a deep sense of uh, humility and, and repentance. You cannot repent unless there's humility there. And repentance is the action of humility. And so, God, I pray that there would be deep humility in this room, that we would not be people who are looking down our nose at people who have been divorced or people who um, have had sex before marriage or people who uh, this or that or the other thing. But every single one of us in here is damaged goods. Every single one of us in here has baggage. Every single person in this room needs this word from you that we need to be devoted to you unconditionally. We need to have undivided devotion to you. So God, we're praying for that. We're praying for that as a church, 
that God, that that would reflect in our community. That Lord, the, the holiness and the righteousness that you bring about in this church would lead to an incredible sense of humility in our community. That Lord, people would come into our midst so that they'd see uh, what's going on here and that they would say that truly you follow the living God because I see something miraculous in you. Like your marriage sucks, but you love Jesus and you are working that out and you are operating in humility or your business is falling apart, but you are unwaveringly committed to God. Or you just won everything, like you're winning at life, and yet somehow you take no credit for that, and you say, God is the one who's assigned me to this, and I must be a good steward. Lord Jesus, may our lives look like this in our city. May the people around us look at us, see us, acknowledge that you are in us, you are working through us, and that truly you are the living God who went to the cross for us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.